Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. (laughs) Good to see everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Glad you are here. Um, We are in a series that, as you can see from the bumper video and from the uh, title slide, called Vineyard is Our Middle Name. Every couple of years, uh, I kind of try to revisit uh, what are our values in the church just to... uh, just to reacquaint ourselves and to make sure that we understand uh, what we're called to and what is our part to play in the bigger body of Christ in Myrtle Beach and beyond. Uh, When I uh, first became a Christian, I had never read this book that we all have so much access to. But when, I mean, I, you know, a friend told me about Jesus and it just radically changed my life. And he had shown me one scripture out of this book and, and we read it together. And then he explained who Christ was and what he did and how he came to save me. And then he said, Tim, you need to, uh, you need to start reading this book because in this book you're going to find out the big picture of how much God loves his creation. He loves his, the world and what he did, how much he did in order to buy it back, to redeem it back to himself, that there was no way. And he just told me this grand story that just captured my heart and So I started my walk with Christ, and he told me first to read the book of John, the Gospel of John, which was a beautiful book, and he told me then to read what he called the little books of John, back at the back of the Bible, back here, and so I read those, and then I was kind of on my own, and I was like, I don't know if you've done this, but then I started going back to the first, and I started reading a lot of weird stuff, and I was like, I don't understand a lot of this. So let me just look through the Bible a little bit and find something that looks interesting since I've never read this book. And I found a book called the Book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And I thought, okay, Acts, activities. That's what I want to know. I want to know what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to do the Acts? I mean, and evidently, this book, the way it's written is almost like a movie script. I mean, you can follow it along and you can see all the exciting journeys. And once I got into this book, I was like, that's the life I want right there. If that's available to me, I want to experience this. And so, you know, the book starts out with Jesus about to go back to God the Father. And he's told his his disciples, he says, listen, You know, I've got to go back because if I don't go back, the Holy Spirit, which nobody told me about that much, the Holy Spirit is is going to come and I've got to go back in order for him to come and to do what he needs to do in each of your lives. And so I'm going to go back. The Holy Spirit is going to come. But don't you even start this walk. Don't start out of here going out into the world or doing anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And so this is getting exciting. You know, you're reading the first chapter and this is all new to me. And, uh, and then I see where they go to a room and they pray together and they kind of hang out. And Peter, who was already a hero of mine because I had heard that he had, you know, fallen away after being with Jesus for three and a half years. He had rejected Christ and basically denied him at one of Jesus's 
really crucial moments in his life. He had bailed out on him. And I thought, what a friend, you know. And uh, he bailed out and denied him three times. And yet we get back uh, into the book of Acts and we find out that Jesus, you know, three strikes and you're out, not with Jesus. <laughs> you know, three strikes and you're out and Jesus says, you're my man. Instead of you're out. And so Peter is back with Jesus and he's in this first and second chapter of Acts. And then I get to the second chapter and I read of how God just came through the Holy Spirit. And this guy, Peter, who had just maybe 50 days earlier had rejected Christ, said he didn't even know him. And now the guy, if you read, do you guys ever read this? Have you read this stuff in here? I mean, really, have you read it? I mean, there's some unbelievable stuff, fantastic stories and exciting, uh, exciting life. And, and, and saw where this guy, Peter, who used to keep putting his foot in his mouth every time he opened it, if you read through the Gospels, now, all of a sudden, he is preaching this amazing sermon in the street where thousands of people come to know Jesus. I mean, how would you like to preach your first sermon and you got a megachurch? I mean, in just 50 days earlier, a month and a half earlier, you were denying that you even knew him. I mean, what kind of God does that kind of stuff? Forgives you, restores you, and then sends the Holy Spirit to work through you and affect thousands of lives. I mean, what a redeeming God. And so this story, this story in the book of Acts of trying to see how God works through us was such an eye-opener for me that it set us on a path to trying to find out exactly, does this stuff happen still? The stuff that we read in the Bible, and especially in the book of Acts. Probably 10 years later, maybe 15 years later from this, we were in a conference uh, with maybe 2,000 other people, and we're sitting stage left up in the balcony, and there have been many famous preachers at this conference, and some of you who have been around for some time would know the names if I told you the names. But the last night of the conference, there was a guy speaking that I had never heard of uh, other than maybe read an article by him here and there. And this guy came out in kind of a rumpled suit. He had gray hair and a gray beard, and he carried this giant folder under his arm. And he came out when it was time for the speaker, and he walked up. We walked up to the podium, and he sat down this giant folder, and he just opened it up. The guy's name was John Wimber. This is probably 1986, something like this. And he starts reading these reports of what the Holy Spirit is doing all over the world. Now, I was ready for a sermon, you know. We were kind of Pentecostal at that time. I was ready to go. Let's go. And uh, John just starts reading these reports. Those of you who don't know, John was, is our founding pastor of the vineyard but John just keeps on reading he goes in Brazil here's what's happening he reads this list of healings and people who've come to Christ you know and in Argentina here's what God is doing through the Holy Spirit in Africa here's what God is doing through the Holy Spirit he, he, he just goes around for 30 minutes or 45 minutes all he does is read reports I thought what a strange sermon you know he just but you could feel the level in the room the anticipation that God is still doing things. You could feel it building in the room as John read these reports. And then all of a sudden, he simply folds over this huge file, puts his hand on it and goes, and now the Holy Spirit is going to come. And I thought, isn't he here? 
I mean, I thought he was already here, you know. And indeed, he was there, but what John meant is the Holy Spirit is going to come in a different way, in another way, and fall on us. And we're going to know that the Holy Spirit is there. And he just simply prayed a simple prayer. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. Come empower your church, encourage your church, and heal your church so that they can love the world the way you love it. And it was amazing what happened in that room just like that. That took me back to the book of Acts to go, maybe there is a way and maybe God still does want us to live life the way that it's written in the book of Acts. Maybe we can still see some of the things that we read in here. Maybe this exciting life is still available to us. And it was probably another 10 years I didn't before we came into the vineyard and, uh, and became a, a, a part of the vineyard. So the vineyard, if you ask someone what are two of the biggest values in the vineyard, the first would be worship, that we really value our time in worship, worshiping him, singing to him. And secondly, we would value the presence of the Holy Spirit or what has come to be called uh, being naturally supernatural. And that is being who you are, but allowing God to do some pretty cool things through you at times. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. If you've got your Bible, uh, you want to turn over to Acts 8 and verses 4 through 8, then uh, you can read along with me. It'll be up on the screens as well. Uh, this is the story or a part of the story of a guy named Philip. I think Philip was just an everyday guy, just like Peter was. And, uh, but who was captured by the Lord in such a way that it changed his life. And he just put himself out there uh, once he came to know Christ and began to follow Jesus out into his world. Uh, Philip started out in the story of the book of Acts as what's called a deacon, a little d, deacon, not a capital D, deacon, like not deacon Philip, you know, it was little d, it was a job description. You know that in the Bible... When we read things like deacon or elder, those are job descriptions, not necessarily titles. Like when we say deacon, it means servant. It means someone who serves. And so there was a need in the church at that time because the church had grown, the local churches had grown, and, and they only had a few apostles who were preaching the scripture, and the first leaders had to take care of everything. And so they were having to see, <clears throat> excuse me, they were having to see uh, that uh, the physical needs of the church were taken care of. And you had these two groups of people in the church, in the early church, widows. And in this culture, no one cared for the widows. If the husband was gone and there were no kids around to take care of them, they were left on their own at the old age to take care of themselves. And so in the church, in the early church, you had the Hellenistic widows, which were the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, they were now Christians. And then you had the Hebrew-speaking widows. And these two, imagine, argument in church. Can you believe it? And these two in the church, like the Hellenistic widows, the ones who spoke Greek, were upset because it looked to them like the Hebrew-speaking widows were getting more food than they were. And so they were complaining. They were like, hey, why don't you guys care about us? Is it because we speak Greek and they speak Hebrew? Are you biased against us, against us Greek speakers? Is that what's going on? Is that it? And so the apostles looked around and said, you know what? We can't stop preaching and studying the word. We need to find some deacons, servants, 
to take care of this. So they found seven men. And the requirement was that they be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That they know how to hear the Holy Spirit, be full of His presence, but they also be smart and wise people so that they can deal with it. And Philip was one of those original seven deacons. And so we start the story with Philip serving in a local church, doing what he knew to do to help those widows who didn't have enough food. But as his story progresses, you keep seeing Philip out preaching. Every opportunity he gets, he goes out and shares this good news of Jesus. And so that's where we're going to join him this morning, is in Acts 8, 4 through 8, where Philip is preaching in Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Father, we pray your blessing on your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we do ask for you to come. We know you're here, but we ask for you to come and breathe life on your word and also drop in on us in a special way that our hearts are changed. That we as your church would have the heart that you have. Come and give us your heart. Your heart of love for the world that you gave yourself for. Teach us this morning, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you have a fill-in in your handout if you want to track along with me, and you should have a pen as well. And your first fill-in from our scripture text this morning is this. Uh, loving others is expressed through proclaiming Jesus. Loving others is expressed through proclaiming Jesus. Look at verses 4 and 5, first part of verse 5 as well. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Preached, proclaimed. When the crowds heard Philip, now we mentioned the proclamation part of our call to love our communities last week, but I want to mention it again because it's in our text today, and uh, that, you know, people need to hear the good news that God loves them and cares about them, that God has come to earth and done all the hard work that it takes to reconcile them back to their creator. That is some good news. The distance has been closed between the Creator and His creation through Jesus Christ. It's been bridged through Christ. All the screw-ups, the sins that separate us from God have been paid for and taken care of in Jesus Christ. So when we trust in that price that has been paid, we are reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That is some wonderful news. And I still think in the heart of every single person, there is this hunger and thirst to be reconnected to their creator. I believe everyone carries that hunger. No matter how they may react to you or may respond to you, or I still believe that that hunger, the scripture tells us that God has placed eternity in everyone's heart. That hunger to know what's this all about. What's going to happen when I die? Why is the world the way it is? And why can't it be a different place when so many of us want it to be different? Why can't it be different? 
What's going on? I believe all of us have those questions. And so someone who has been uh, touched by Jesus Christ, someone who has seen their lives change through Christ, has to be able to tell them. And people matter to God. That's why he came. And people matter to this church. And that's why we want to do what we do in outreach and what we do in preaching the gospel and raising up preachers here and, and people to, to train others. And Paul said in Romans 10, 14 through 15, and this is the message translation, Romans 10, 14 through 15, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one, Jesus, who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? Somebody has to proclaim. Somebody's got to tell them. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, did someone tell you about Jesus? Raise your hand if they did. Yes, you see, I mean, somebody told us. Somebody told me. Yeah, I didn't pick the Bible up and find it. Somebody had to pull me aside and, and tell me about this. And so we love people as a vineyard church. As a church, we love people by having good news to tell people. God is not mad with you. He loves you so much. He died for you. And he is available to you in Jesus Christ to be reconciled to him. So you can come home and start the journey. No, all the questions are not going to be answered the minute you pray the prayer. But you, you get on your way and you begin your journey. As God begins to teach and bring you along, you get to know more and more. Though Philip was a deacon, he served with his hands and seeing that the widows were fed, he was also a proclaimer. He went out and told the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and we get nervous about it, don't we? We think, how am I going to just walk, you know, kind of cold up to someone and start talking? I mean, I'm, I'm no street preacher. I don't, I don't know how to do this. What am I supposed to do? Remember this. God the Father loves people out there a lot more than you do. And if he has indeed placed eternity in their heart and he is calling them, then he is already working in their life. Somehow, some way, he is already communicating to them. Somehow, he's already pulling on their heart. Some way or other. You're not in this alone. You can't see the networking that God's doing. It reminded me of a story I read of Leighton Ford, uh, who was with the Billy Graham uh, Foundation uh, organization for so long. He told the story of a young pastor who was visiting the local county jail, and he eventually led one of the most notorious criminals of the whole area to Christ. And he was quite excited about it. But before he got too excited, the guy that he prayed with said to him, Now, preacher, don't go get, be getting a big head. You're only the 25th man. There had been 24 others that had talked to him about the same thing. This young preacher just happened to be the 25th one that when he shared, it clicked. You don't ever know how many have been to your friend, to your family. You don't know what has gone on. You don't know how God the Father has been working in their life. And you're a piece of the puzzle. You're a part of the story. But just remember this. God loves them so much more even than you do that he is pursuing them. And so you enter the story. The story is already probably in chapter 3 by the time you enter it. And so when you see the Father doing something in someone's life, you simply begin 
to enter the story with what God's already writing. But someone has to tell people. Someone has to proclaim the good news to let people know there's good news. Your second feeling is this. Loving others is expressed through demonstrating the works of Jesus. Loving others is expressed through demonstrating the works of Jesus. Uh, verses 6b uh, through 7 continues with this. and It says, And that they saw the miraculous signs that he, Philip, did. They all paid, a close, they all paid close attention to what he said. When? When they saw the demonstration, the works of Jesus. When they saw him casting out demons. When they saw him praying for the sick. They paid attention to what he was saying. Verse 7, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Now here's where, depending on your tradition in church, you go, okay, don't want any shrieking stuff. I'll go to the next verse. Okay, let's see what that is, you know. Depending on what your Christian tradition is. Uh, it's like when you get to these power encounters, when you get to these situations where miraculous events happen, we don't seem to have a paradigm for it, so we will skip over it. And we'll go, weird story, yeah, let me move on. I like the, I'll deal with the proclaiming, that demonstrating part. Yeah. You know, I don't want any shrieking going on around me. You know, so let's, let's move on a little bit. Why would that even be in here except for one thing? And that is this, God loves people enough to give them relief. Someone who is being harassed by demonic spirits, by situations in their life. God loves people enough that he wants to touch them. He wants to be able to minister to them. It's not about the demonstration. It's about the love of God and how much he cares for the person. We get hung up on the, on the activity not realizing it's the love of God that is being expressed in that demonstration. And, um, you know, any time we do the works of Jesus, we demonstrate the love of God. Any time we do it. So we don't just speak. We do the works of Christ. We extend our hands. In a way, Philip started doing the works of Christ, didn't he? He was feeding the widows first before he ever started preaching and proclaiming. But I bet you he got to talk a lot with those widows. I bet that was an interesting uh, place to serve in the church. What does it look like when God comes to earth? What do you think it should look like? Read what it was like when Jesus did what he did. When Jesus fed the hungry. When he saw that the thirsty had water. When he healed the sick. When he cast out demons that were harassing people. When he took the lonely and the disenfranchised and those who felt like nobody loved them and he took them in and he said, hey, you come and you follow me. That's what it looks like when God comes to earth. And so he goes back and he says, listen, church, you wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you because you're going to go out and do what I did. You're going to go out and be an example of what it's like when God comes to, church, comes to earth. And we know in the vineyard, we know that we believe that we live in this period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. When God returns, when Jesus returns to earth and he puts all things right, what will it be? No hunger, no thirst, no loneliness, no orphans. They will all be in families. 
Those who are beat up and bruised will be healed. There'll be plenty of food for everybody. There'll be joy for everyone when Jesus returns to this earth. But we aren't there yet. But Jesus told us before he left to pray how? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On the earth as it is in heaven. So until he comes back, his church is to pray. Lord, bring your kingdom, your rule and your reign to earth. Now. Not later. Bring it now. Is it going to be here 100% of the time? No, not till he comes back. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want to come and give us previews and show us what it's going to be like when the kingdom comes in fullness. So our job is to pray thy kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. And then to put ourselves in a place where we can see it happen. And no, it won't happen all the time. It won't happen all the time. But it will happen some of the time, and it probably will happen more often if we expected it more often, and we put ourselves in a position to see it happen more often. Philip put himself in a position by praying for the sick, praying for those who harassed emotionally. He put himself in a position, but anytime we put our hands to the work, and it's the works of Jesus, then we can see the kingdom come. I mean, we can feed somebody right now, can't we? We can do that. The kingdom comes. We can drill a well in a country somewhere that doesn't have clean water so people don't get disease and die. The kingdom comes. We can lay hands on the sick and we can pray for them and sometimes they do get healed. Sometimes they do. The kingdom comes. Lord, bring your kingdom. Over and we get kind of hung up again on the demonstration part of it. Over in Acts 8, 9, the, the same chapter Philip is preaching, and there's a magician that uh, comes, you know, that it looks like. I don't know if he was really a believer or not. I'm, I'm wondering if he was faking things out here. But Simon the magician, you know, he, Philip's preaching, and he comes to him, and Philip baptizes him. And uh, then Peter comes along, and, and this guy, Simon, I mean, he was making money off of magic right before. Well, he sees Peter... He prays for the filling of the Holy Spirit on these people and he watches the Holy Spirit fall on these people and he sees this miraculous thing going on and you know, Simon comes up and he goes, hey, I want that. I want that. Can you give that to me? Because I was making money before. If I can get that, I can take this show on the road. I mean, if, if I can say I'm the healer and if I can say I can cast out demons and you give me that power and if people respond like that when I pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I can make a lot of money. And I can be a really big shot. And that's what a lot of us are worried about when we even want to pray for someone. We're like, well, I don't want to be a Simon. But look what Peter said to Simon. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. God loves people. All of this is about showing the love of God for people. It's not about us. It's about God showing the love for the people who are hurting. Because when the kingdom comes, people won't be hurting anymore. So let's show them the love of God by putting ourselves out and doing the works of Jesus. Uh, your, other, your next fill-in is this, and this comes from verse 8. Loving others through proclamation and demonstration can result in joy. In joy. So there was great joy in that city. 
Why was there joy? Because hurting people had been touched. Harassed people had been freed. People who needed to hear good news had heard it. The good news of Christ. And that brings joy. God loves for us to have joy. That is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All of that is His gift to us. And if we can bring joy to someone's life, that is doing the works of Jesus. Don't you like to see people happy? You go do something for someone and they smile and they can say thank you. That is the result of the kingdom coming. When the king comes, joy comes. Now, how do we begin? How do we start this? Your last three fill-ins here. How can we at the vineyard even get in on this? All of this stuff we're reading in the book of Acts. I just want to say a few things here. Your first one, your first fill-in is this. Be yourself. All right? Be yourself. The greatest gift you can give God in His service is yourself. Some of us think that we take God by surprise that when we go, God, you could never use me. Never use me. You just don't know me. Really? He doesn't know you. God, how could you use somebody like me? I mean, I'm such an introvert. You know, believe me, God can use. Believe me, God can use introverts. God, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what level of faith I have. I just, this stuff is such a challenge to me. I love you, and I, I want to know you better, but I don't know, God. I, I don't think I got the right words. I don't think I... I know how. You know, we have this term in the vineyard being naturally supernatural. That is, you be who you are. It's a great book, and I love the cover on this book, too. Uh, naturally supernatural. We took the whole church through this about probably six, seven years ago. Took all our small groups through it. But a great little book if you ever want to pick it up. But there you go, naturally supernatural. See that? Very natural, but God uses us, who we are. Um, tell you about a young guy uh, when we first started this church probably we were into it maybe three weeks we were meeting in a cafeteria in a retreat center there was probably about 80 of us in that room crammed in this little small room we got to the end of the service and I just waited at the end and I, 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 I said let's just see you know if God wants to do something and and we had plenty of time in those days and just one service and hanging out and so I waited, and I'm looking out over this crowd, probably about like that, and, and uh, I'm not looking on the front row. And finally, I see this little boy about 11 years or 9 years old. He was 9. I still got this on cassette tape. It was recorded. <laughs> and uh, he was sitting on the front row there, and he's going like this at me. Damn. Damn. I'm not even looking at him, right? And finally, I see him, and I was sitting pretty close. And so I leaned down, and I said, what? He goes, there are 11 people here who need to come to Jesus this morning. And I said, really? He said, yeah, and all of them are adults. <laughs> this is like three weeks. It was, it was just one of those moments I thought, I still I get chills over this. I stepped back. I said, well, this is going to be fun. Let's see where this goes. You know, so I stepped back and I said just what he said. I said, you know, my young friend here, says there are 11 adults here. You have never stepped across the line. You've never made your decision to follow Jesus. Today is your day. Who are you? 
Well, six hands went up immediately, just immediately. I thought, man, that's great. That's good enough right there. First Corinthians 13, we know in part, prophesy in part. He got close, you know, 11, a nine-year-old. He was close enough, you know, he's close enough. We don't see everything clearly. And then all of a sudden, the other hands start going up, up, up. Five other hands went up. Eleven people. All he was doing was being who he was. You know, he didn't, he just, you know, he's being a nine-year-old, just getting my attention. I never forgot that, that God uses us like we are, who we are, with our personalities. He knows what he's doing when he calls you and me to follow him. And sometimes, like I said, we don't think he knows us that well. I mean, think about Moses, if you know that story. I know you've heard of him. And uh, Moses, you know, if you know the story, when God came to him, Moses goes, God, you got the wrong guy. I can't speak. I mean, I, you know, I stutter. I just, I don't, I don't know how to put my words together correctly. You got the wrong guy. And God hangs in there with him and gives him some help, but hangs in there with him and will not let Moses get off the hook. Now, the question is, did Moses get the children of Israel to the promised land? Did he? Yes, he did. 40 years to do it, right? But he got, he got them there. You know, through someone who said he couldn't speak and he couldn't lead and he should be disqualified. Gideon, one of my favorite characters, is hiding out. There's a war going on. He's hiding out in this place where they thresh wheat. And all of a sudden, you know, God shows up. An angel shows up and says, Hail, mighty warrior. Gideon looks like, who's he talking to? You know, it can't be me. I'm hiding out from the Midianites. You know, I don't want them to see me. And the angel keeps saying, look, hey, God's called you. God's called you to, to win over the Midianites. And Gideon goes, man, my family is the biggest loser of all the tribes. I mean, they're just all losers. And I am the chief loser of the loser tribe. There's no way you have called me. You made a big mistake. God had not made a mistake. He had made no mistake. And if you read in the book of Judges, you see how God used Gideon to do mighty things. I mentioned Peter a while ago. I mean, a man who was always putting his foot in his mouth every time he opened it. A man who denied Christ three times. And yet, God uses him to launch the church. Just be yourself. Be yourself. It's the greatest gift you could give God to use. No one else is like you. No one else has the friends that you have. No one else has the influence with the people that you have. You have people who love you and care about you. People who listen to you when you speak. You're very special and you all have to be you for God to use you. Secondly, or be there, use what you have. Use what you have. It's like, I don't have enough. Well, that little boy, all he had was being a nine-year-old and feeling this, he's in church, and he just feels this inclination that God wants to do something really good. I want my wife to come up, Karen, and share something that happened with us just uh, about a month or so ago. This is my girlfriend of 44 years, and uh, my wife of 42. Yeah, hubba hubba. All right. Oh, gosh. Good morning, guys. Um, well, we were at a conference in Virginia Beach, and it was a church planner conference. 
And so those were young uh, couples, most of them were young couples, there were a few older ones, that felt the call to plant churches. And some were there at different stages. You know, some were just trying to fill this out and see what they wanted to do, and others had already decided and knew what they were going to do. Um, But so at the end of, after Tim had spoke that night, at the end, he had us all pray. They broke up into groups. And then he looked at me and he said, just be praying and see if you hear anything, you know, for anybody, have a word for someone or direction that the Lord's given you. And so that's what I did. And there were a couple that I did that with. But then there was one that was very, I thought, just strange. But that's the way the Lord does sometimes. You just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to you. But um, the word he gave me after... I saw, because I had I asked him who it was for, because it was mostly men in this group, and, the, and you'll understand when you hear the word. But once I saw who it was for, then I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. In my mind, it made sense. It was um, a family there, a uh, husband and wife, and they had brought their children, and she was Asian. And the word that I got was, my sweet, sweet flower moving what I have for you and so it was just a simple little word and so I walked over to her and introduced myself and shared and she just started crying and so I said okay you know it was something she was asking the Lord for and it made sense to her but then I looked over and her husband was crying too and so she said you don't understand I said okay what don't I understand and she said That's what my husband calls me. So that's how significant. She had been asking the Lord for a word about should we move into this church planning thing? Should we do this? She just felt so anxious about it. But for the Lord to use a term that I would not have known and most other people wouldn't, it was an intimate term between she and her husband. It spoke volumes to her. Mm. Thanks, See, God even knows your little intimate little terms you have for each other there at Couples. <laughs> he can pull that card when he wants to, you know. Uh, you know, over in Mark 6, 30 and 44, the, Jesus is preaching and he's getting a little bit tired. And he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, let's get in this boat. Let's take off for a retreat. There might be a resort on the other side of the river here. You know, and well, that's not in the Bible, but... Uh, You know, let's get in the boat. Let's go on the other side. Let's take a little bit of a break. And so they get in the boat and they go on the other side in Mark 6. And when they get over to the other side, it's not what what the disciples were expecting. They were thinking, well, we're going to be able to dial it back. And there's throngs of people waiting for Jesus to show up. Well, they get off the boat and Jesus has great compassion for them. The the story goes. And, uh, And so he goes up on the hill and he begins to preach to them. And evidently, Jesus is a long preacher, and he's preaching along and along and along until he gets into the late afternoon. And the disciples lean over to Jesus and go, hey, they're probably getting hungry, and they're probably tired. We should let this group go, go to the village, and let them grab something to eat. And uh, maybe we can do this again tomorrow, but we need to let them go. Jesus looks at them, and he says this to the disciples. You feed them. I mean, there's probably five, 
thousand men or so, which is 12,000 maybe total in the crowd. And they're like, let's let them go to the village to get something to eat. And Jesus turns to them and goes, you feed them. And they go, Jesus, do you know how, do you know how much it would take to feed this group? It'd be six months' wages. And besides, we'd have to go to town to get it. We'd have to bring it back. It's cost more than we have. There's no way that it's, just, you know, there's no way that this is going to work. And so Jesus then asked them, he says, well, what do you have? What do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Will they come back? Do you remember the story? Five loaves, two fish, right? 12,000 people maybe. Five loaves, two fish. Now, if you know the story, you know they started handing it out and there was plenty, right? Now, my question for you is, when did it become plenty? Did it become plenty before it was five and two? Or did it become plenty when you took what they had, when they took what they had and began to use it? You get this? That's your last feeling is you got to trust God for the increase. You have to trust God for the increase because I don't think that, that bread and that fish, I don't think it began to be multiplied until they started handing out the five and the two. Whatever you have is the only thing you have to give. You don't have to have more than you have to give. You only have to give what you have. What do you have? What do you have to give? Band, come on up. I want to tell you one last story here before we go back to worship. Man, this is uh, back when I had a business. I had a guy working for me that was an estimator. I had a contracting business. This is way back in the 70s. And, um, he had the habit of going into McDonald's every morning and get a cup of coffee before he came to work. His name was Tom. He was an awesome guy, funny, loved Jesus. He's been dead for about six years now. I just want to miss him. He was a wonderful guy, great sense of humor. He goes into McDonald's one morning early, about 6.30, before he comes to the office, and he walks in, and, you know, he's just doing what he always does. He walks into McDonald's, and, and something catches his eye to the left. He looks back in the back of McDonald's, and he sees a woman back there, and she has her head buried in her hands. And so he goes on and he gets his coffee and he starts to walk out and he looks over and she's weeping. She's just weeping. Got her face buried in her hands and he thinks, uh, man, I hope she's okay. You know, it's a woman. I would go over and ask her how she's doing, but I'm a guy. It's McDonald's. I need to get to work. It's, it's uh, finding out what the father's doing, right? Whatever God invites you into, just... Why would he see that if God wasn't inviting him into whatever God was doing? Tom goes outside, gets ready to leave, and goes, no, i got to go back. He goes back in, he walks to the back, and he says, excuse me, ma'am, are you okay? And she just pours it out. She is sitting there with a piece of paper writing out how she's going to commit suicide. Tom sits down with her, and over the next hour, he leads her to Christ. He tells her how much Jesus loves her and how her life is a gift from God. That he has so much more for her than she has experienced. It is an exciting thing 
to join the Father in what he is doing on this planet that he loves. Let's stand. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.